and especially this time of the year. The Bible says we're epistles that are read by all men. We're examples, and God has put the light of his love in each and every one of our hearts. I turn your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm looking forward to tonight, this Christmas cantata. Amen. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Make sure you bring your friends, family members. It's going to be great. Appreciate all the hard work, Sister Lisa tomorrow and our praise and worship team. It's going to be a tremendous night. And uh, you're going to be blessed. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And verse 11 says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Iled, but they're going to worship him. Fell down and worship him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, expensive gifts. Not only did they worship with the way they positioned themselves, not only did they worship with the words did they say, not only did they worship with their presence after making a long journey across that Arabian desert, but they worshiped with their gifts. I want to speak this morning for a few moments on this subject, hero worship. Hero worship. Would you bow your heads with me, Lord? We're thankful to be in your house today and thankful for the opportunity to worship you. What a great God you are. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us access into your presence, into the throne room of grace. I pray now, Lord, that this word would come alive in our hearts and minds and we would be changed. Thank you for all that you do. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated and thank you for standing. Hero worship is defined as excessive admiration for someone and a belief that they are special or perfect to admire someone and imagine that they have qualities or abilities that are better than anyone else's another definition says strong and often unreasonable admiration for someone Every definition that I could find, though worded slightly different, mentioned the word admiration with it. And then coupled it with an adjective like excessive or unreasonable. There was the word admiration, which we would think of as being synonymous with worship. But then with the word hero applied to it, it seemed like that was defined as the portion that was excessive or unreasonable. In nearly every case, it was viewed in a negative context. Hero worship was looked at in a negative context. Worship as a whole, especially if it's directed toward God or the things of God, is viewed in our world today with skepticism and many times even condescension. 
I think that's ironic because when I think of the fact that this past weekend millions of dollars was spent to sit in theaters for two and a half hours and watch Spider-Man. Supposedly, somebody that was bit by a radioactive spider. I think we would all agree that that's a, a made-up hero. But yet, that's okay. But now, for all of you people that want to gather in church and worship God, who created you and redeemed you. That's excessive. Oh, don't clap your hands when you go to church. That's excessive. Don't lift your hands when you go to church. Uh, that's unreasonable. Don't speak in tongues when you feel the presence of God. That's unacceptable. Says who? We worship the one who has redeemed our souls, saved us from sin. We worship the one who's delivered people from alcohol and drugs and pornography. We worship the one who's really made a difference in our lives. I don't apologize for excessive admiration for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We praise Him with all of our might and strength. I'm sure that these wise men had friends that were concerned about them. No doubt they viewed these men and their preoccupation with a star as unstable and possibly even unhealthy. Why would you travel for months to an unknown land and bring expensive gifts to a person you've never met? That's not good. It's not healthy. This tangent that you're on. It's gone too far. It's, it's going to destroy your family. It's amazing how people get concerned about our families. Whenever they don't like the activities we're involved in. Especially as it relates to the house of God and the things of God. I, I think that's too much raising your kids in the house of God. I think that's too much memorizing the Word of God as Bible quizzers each day. It's more healthy if you just spend hours a day on video games. If you just spend hours a day on watching movies that take the name of the Lord in vain and listen to music that defames women and speaks of violence. That's what our culture would say is healthy worship. I say today that's a lie from the pit of hell. We choose to exalt the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We choose to come to the house of God and lift our hands and lift our voice. We choose to involve ourselves in excessive and even unreasonable worship in your sight because we found the one who is real. He's not made of wood or of stubble or of stone. He is God robed in flesh. And his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. 
Now, I don't know if these three wise men were married. But if they were, I can just imagine these conversations. You know, you're going to do what? You've taken our life savings to buy frankincense. And you're going to go across the Arabian desert. You know, there's bandits out there, right? They're going to steal that. Where are we going? You're following a star? There's a lot of stars up there. How do you know where it's going? You're going to be gone how long? You're going to miss Christmas. <laughs> this was not just going down to the store and buying a gift for a friend. This was a total commitment and devotion that I'm sure many felt were excessive. And I don't think it's that different from today, from what people say about you and I that don't understand our devotion to our Savior. Why do you go to church three times a week? That's excessive. That's not healthy. I'm concerned about you. Why do you pay 10% of your income to the church? That's not good. It would be much better if you'd spend 40% of your income on alcohol, gambling, drugs. Oh, that's much healthier. Nicotine. It's getting quiet. Must, must be some of y'all are spending some of your income on some. Must be in the wrong church. It says Eastwind. Why would you spend your off days volunteering at Hands for Healing, the food bank? Why would you listen to Christian music? Why do you refrain from movies and conversations that take the name of the Lord in vain? Why do you dress with such modesty and so conservative? Why do you insist on the name of Jesus? Why do you speak in tongues? Why do you obsess about keeping the church clean? This preoccupation with your faith, it's not good. I, I, I used to hear things like that and I would be defensive and I would want to explain my devotion in terms that would make me feel normal and accepted. But I have come today with a new revelation on this Sunday before Christmas. We have come today to destroy the myth that hero worship is unhealthy. I rise on this Sunday to proclaim that we are not ashamed of the worship we give our King. We choose to worship God. We choose to bow down before Him. We choose to bring Him the gifts of our praise and the fruit of our lips. And I've not just come today with admiration for my God. I've come today with excessive admiration for the mighty God in Christ. We come today with the gift of unreasonable worship. Oh, I feel it rising up right now. Come on, why don't you lift your voice like a trumpet and shout the praises of our hero. Mm, Jesus.
Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Sometimes our devotion to our hero is so excessive that it spills over into the things that represent God. We give gifts to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because we love God so much, we love each other. And we don't apologize for it. We are guilty of hero worship. Our devotion to God spills over to our devotion to the house of God. Because it represents God. This is not some building that we just gather in for a social setting. This is not the King Center where we come for a performance. This is not Walmart where we come to pick up a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk. This is not where we come to see or to be seen. We come to this place under the banner of the name of Jesus who has redeemed us from our sins and brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we come in one mind and one voice and one accord. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. I was glad when they said, let us go to church. Woo! I don't know, Pastor, that's not healthy. It's not. It's excessive. It's unreasonable. Then you tell me what's more healthy. Is it more healthy to serve God or to serve yourself? There's a lot of people choosing to serve themselves. How's that working out for you? What brings more happiness, serving God or serving yourself? In Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Lystra and Derby, they were involved with many miracles. They were visible undeniable miracles that were taking place and the men and women in that community they began to bring gifts to paul and barnabas they wanted to worship them they called barnabas jupiter and paul mercury because they thought that the greek gods had come down to them in the form of men and paul and barnabas stopped them they said no 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 no, no. We're, we're men like you are you you want to worship the god that we're preaching about he gave the rain from heaven they, they, they begin to preach this beautiful message and then paul says he left a witness in us but it is god that you feel excessive admiration for and the bible says that they scarcely restrained them that's the verbiage that the king james version uses in other words they could hardly stop the people from hero worship and some jews from antioch and iconium they heard about it they came and stirred up the people so that they stoned paul and tossed his body out of the city, supposing that he was dead, because he was dead. They stoned him to death. One minute they're bringing sacrifices and worshiping him, and the next, they've stoned him to death. That's why you better not get too carried away with public opinion. Paul said, even so do we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. 
I mean, here's this group. They're wanting to worship Paul as a god. The next day, these Jews come from neighboring cities and they get an angry mob together and they stone him to death. And God has to raise him up. I mean, they throw him out of a city. This is where they throw all the dead bodies and they throw him out there in the heap and all the disciples are standing around looking at the body. And Paul gets up and dusts himself off. Still got rubble in his hair and says, let's go to Derby. The work of God's going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> they tried to lift us high. They tried to put us down low. But God is still God. Oh, my friend, you got to just keep on walking with God. When everything's going your way, when nothing's going your way, you got to just keep on walking with God. He's still the God I'm going to praise. He's still the God that gives life. He's still the God that can save to the uttermost. He is the mighty God. And he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. So we got to keep on keeping on. So Paul says, let's go to Derby." So then after preaching in Derby, the Bible says that he goes back to Lystra. He goes back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And the Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, out of this had come disciples. But the question that we look at and ask ourselves when we read this text is why go back to where they stoned you to death, Paul? Why go back to this, this location that must have had a lot of bad memories for you? Because prior to that angry mob, there was such an appreciation for the things of God that the people engaged in hero worship. And Paul recognizes that there is something there that God can work with. It's misdirected praise, but yet it's praise anyhow. Their heart for God was revealed through their excessive admiration. All they knew was what they had been taught in the, in, in the Greek worship of the Greek gods. And so when they saw the miraculous, they said these are gods that have come in the form of men. And they did what they always did. They brought sacrifices and they, and they wanted to offer uh, these garlands. And this was a way of recognizing their greatness and bringing oxen and, and so forth. And yet through that, God finds some people that he can use. But everybody else dismissed them. As being some sort of idol worshipers. God says, I can use that passion for the kingdom of God. I, I became curious about this group. So I, I kept studying and kept reading. And Acts 16 says that there was a man that was a part of this group whose name was Timothy. His father was a Greek. And his mother was a Jew. Verse 1 of 16, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple, a certain disciple was there named Tim Timotheus, or Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed. But, everybody say but. but. His father was a Greek, capital G. His father wasn't a believer. His mother was, but his father wasn't. His father was a Greek, which was well reported of, verse 2 goes on now to describe Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. This young man, Timothy, he is a devoted young man. But yet the Bible says his father was a Greek. 
The way this is described, the commentators say that this is referring not just to the nationality to his, of his father, but to the religion or the faith of his father. His father was high up in the Greek worship of their gods. So that when you go back to Acts 14, you find that when Paul and Barnabas were there and miracles were being done and they brought sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, that it was the Greek priests that were leading up this hero worship. Very possible that his father was one of those leaders. At the very least, Timothy was one of those young men that when he saw the lame man healed, there was something in that young man that wanted to crown Paul and Barnabas king. Paul goes back and begins to teach that group and then goes back again in Acts 16. And Paul decides that he hadn't seen such excessive worship. He hadn't seen such excessive devotion. And he wants Timothy to join their evangelism team. What an outstanding young man he is. But everybody knew that his dad was a Greek. Now, Paul and Barnabas had already gone to Jerusalem in Acts 15. They'd already had a big discussion with the city, with the church leaders and the council and all that. And they had made a decision that they were not going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised to be saved. But yet Paul circumcises Timothy to keep the Jews happy. Why does he need to circumcise him to keep the Jews happy? It must have been because everybody knew the way that Timothy had been raised under this father who was a leader in the, the worship of Greek mythology. So we're going to have to do something so it's a visible sign, Timothy, a clear sign of your conversion and your commitment. So I'm going to circumcise you. Timothy could have said, I don't think so. I mean, I love God and everything, but no. And, and didn't you guys just have a council meeting and we decided it wasn't necessary? I think God's raising up a generation of people that are going beyond what's just necessary. God chose Timothy because of his passion and his heart for the miraculous. Ladies and gentlemen, not everything may be necessary for salvation. But your commitment sets you apart to be used by God. Not everything that we do may be necessary for salvation. But when a man or a woman or a young man or a young lady said, I'm ready to set myself apart unto God with unusual and what some would say unreasonable commitment. I've come to tell you that heaven takes notice of it. The Bible says it this way. Many are called. But few are chosen. 
I rise today to declare to you that those few that are chosen have a dedication to God that is based on unusual admiration for the things of God. There is a hunger in this generation that said, I'm not just concerned with what's the minimum daily requirement. I've made up in my mind. I've set my affections on things above. I've decided I'm going to worship God if i got to do it all by myself. Oh, hallelujah. I say to this great church, it's time for East Wind to arise in this community and be known as the unusual worshipers. Mm. Jesus. Timothy becomes the protege of Paul. And when you go through his epistles from the book of Acts on, he always speaks in admiration of Timothy. Many times he uses Timothy as an example of devotion and commitment. There's never any place that I can find in Scripture that, that Paul refers to Timothy in a negative light. And Paul was not an easy guy to work for. I mean, at one point, Mark joined Paul and Barnabas, and he got homesick, wanted to go home. and So he went home, and later on, he was ready to rejoin the evangelism team. And Paul said, nah, I don't think so. Why? Because you left. And Barnabas, who's much more compassionate, we all have our gifts. Barnabas, who's much more compassionate, says, oh, Paul, I don't, we ought to take him back. He's a young man. He was, it's okay, you take him back. Paul and Barnabas split up. Paul had a strong personality. Where did we ever get this notion that if you're a Christian, you're just a little old jellyfish that don't have a backbone? That's not what this church was founded on. Well, if you were a Christian, that means you're not supposed to stand for anything that's opposite of popular opinion. That's not what my Bible preaches. But Paul and Barnabas split. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes Silas. They go different. But Timothy, Paul is drawn to Timothy. I believe that it's because of his devotion, his unusual admiration for the things of God. And I believe it's also because Paul saw something in Timothy that he saw in himself. Because like Paul... Timothy started out worshiping something other than the one true God. For Paul, it was the law. Paul worshiped the law. It was an excessive admiration. I mean, he was so devoted to the law that he was persecuting Christians and hauling. He held the coat while they stoned Stephen to death, a young preacher. He was committed, passionate. And, and God wasn't like passive about, you know, his recruitment of Paul. He didn't just, you know, send a preacher and somebody go around that way and this way. And, and you know, in the circumstances in life, traffic, then you make a decision. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, boom, a bright light from heaven. Knocks him off his high horse. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You're going the wrong direction, buddy. Why was God so assertive in recruiting Paul? Because he saw his passion. He said, if we get him on the right track, 
You see, my folks, nobody can give you passion, but if you've got it, God says, I can use it. You may not even be passionate about the right thing yet, but God says, I can use the passion. I just got to get you on track. So he gets Paul on track and now he sees Timothy and Timothy is passionate and it's now about a man and not necessarily about God. But Paul says, I know a God that can change that. But what he's got is an unusual admiration. Oh, my friend, there's something about this. I begin to see that God uses people that have got an excessive admiration. I rise today to tell you that if you've got an excessive admiration for the things of God to the point that people would say it's unhealthy, it's hero worship, I tell you today, it does not disqualify you. It sets you up for something special. It sets you up for God to use you in the kingdom of God. It is a common denominator among young men and young ladies that God says I can use that young man I can use that young lady I can use them in the kingdom of God I started noticing even in ministers that have preached this year from this pulpit those even that preached at our winds conference people like Pastor Joel Urshan who never wanted to be anything except a preacher. His heroes were all preachers. He always would listen, even as a boy. Some of his siblings would even tell us about it. They were concerned about him. It was an unusual occupation with preaching. He'd listen to hours and hours of preachers. All of his heroes were preachers. He knew every message preached by every preacher at every general conference. Even now you can ask him and just say a year. General conference 1998. He will tell you where the conference was because it moves around every year. He will tell you who preached, what nights, and what message they preached. Even now. It's just, it's not healthy. Not good, little Joel. He would take his little cassette recorder and he would play parts of the general conference and then he would stop and he with his little mic he would introduce. And he'd say, now Brother Kilgore is coming to preach this message. But God used him and uses him all over the world. And as we speak, building a $10 million church on the highway in Cincinnati. God takes notice. I said, God takes notice. Evangelist Dylan Morgan, based here out of our church, told me as a young boy, all of his heroes were preachers. He never wanted to be anything else. He never wanted anybody else's autograph. He said, the only autographs I got as a kid were preachers that signed my Bible. He said, even now, I get on an airplane, I see a preacher that I admire, I get nervous, and I break out in a sweat. He texted me a few months ago, he was getting ready to get on the plane in St. Louis, and he said, I'm standing in line behind Nathaniel Urshan. That's Joel Urshan's older brother. I said, so? He said, I want to talk to him, but I'm so nervous, I, I don't know what to say, and I don't think he knows who I am, and... 
He said, I watch his podcast all the time. He has no idea how he's ministered to me. His ministry has been such a blessing. He said, I'm as giddy as a little child. I said, well, just go up to him and, and, and say hello. He texts me again. He goes, I'm sitting three rows behind him and I don't want to bother him. And so I texted Nathaniel Urshan and I said, there's a... <laughs> I, said, I, I said, there's a young evangelist that's uh, sitting behind you with his wife. His name's Dylan Morgan. Would you get up and go back there and shake his hand and say, are you the famous evangelist Dylan Morgan that I've been hearing so much about? <laughs> oh, pastor, that's not healthy. Really? You think it's more healthy to show excessive admiration to rock stars and movie stars and Sports stars that beat women, rape teenagers, abuse drugs, and commit suicide? Is that your picture of healthy worship? Well, no, I, I just don't think anybody should be worshipped. You were designed to worship! You're going to worship something! And if you don't worship God or the things of God, you're going to worship something else or someone else. I rise today to say, if you've got excessive admiration in your heart for God and the things of God, God will honor it. God will honor it. Even if man fails you, God will honor it. I was thinking back on my own life. And I was just taking inventory and I found myself thinking, I don't know why God uses me because my heroes as a kid were the Miami Dolphins. They were not preachers. Bob Greasy, Larry Sonka, Mercury, Morse, Paul Warfield, Jim Kick, even Nick Bonacani on the defense. They were all my heroes. It was so bad I tried to buy Bob Greasy's chin strap one time. <laughs> they had a, a charity auction up at Merritt Square long before there was a Melbourne Mall. We used to go up to Merritt Square. That was the only mall in the area. We went up there one Sunday afternoon. We used to eat at the Piccadilly Cafeteria on Sunday afternoons. They had a charity auction up there. They were auctioning off Bob Greasy's chin strap. I said to my mom, I'm going to buy that chin strap. What I'm going to do with a used chin strap, I have no idea. <laughs> my parents were always so patient with me. My mom said, okay. Let's see if you can get it for $13, which is what I had on me. Well, it sold for 70 something dollars. I was so discouraged. I couldn't even buy Bob Greasy's chin strap. That's how bad it was. They didn't stop me from having a Miami Dolphins bedspread, trash can, nightlight, raincoat, headphones. Everything I had said Miami Dolphins. A lot of good that's done me. 
over the years, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you're 98% scar tissue. Thank you. We've had our heart broken so many times. We might as well be a Chicago Cub fan. <laughs> and I was beating myself up over this and wondering why God would ever use me. And then he reminded me of a time in junior high school when I used to listen to the old cassette tapes of Marvin Hicks who pastored down in South Texas debate on the oneness of God. And I argued with God. I said, yeah, but that's just because I like debate. I'd like to argue ever since I've been alive. But the Lord knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he can find a way to reach you. He reminded me of the countless hours I spent memorizing the word of God as a teenager. My senior year in high school, memorizing the entire book of Romans word for word. Nobody pushing me. No coach pushing me. No parents checking on me. Nothing. I said, but God, that's just because I wanted to win. God knows the heart. Even when you don't know your own heart. Then he reminded me that my first year of seminary school when I was in Bible school in St. Paul, Minnesota, I got a job working for Mando Photo, which we went around to the Tom Thumbs, which is like their 7-Elevens up there. And that's the old days when you had to have your film developed and you'd have those little, you know, canisters of film and you'd drop them off and you could do that. And I worked for a big photo development place that went around. So I drove around and picked up bags of photos and dropped the developed photos back off at the same place. So I was in my car a lot, driving around the Minneapolis-St. Paul area in my car for hours. I think it was three or four days a week that I worked this route. And while I was in my car, hundreds, probably thousands of hours, I would listen to Mark Hamby, who pastored in Fort Worth, Texas. I would listen to his preaching in my car. From stop to stop, I would listen to his preaching. I had forgotten all about that. But God hadn't. He reminded me of it. These were just men that I admired and I wanted to emulate. And they had struggles, difficulties. Some of them are not even serving God. God saw the heart of a young man. Jason Avant grew up in this church. He had such a hunger for the things of God. He loved church. He loved preaching. He used to line all of his stuffed animals up and preach to them. And then he'd have his sister fall over out in the Holy Ghost as he preached to them. He loved playing musical instruments and being on the platform. He wanted to be used of God so much. And even as a teenager, he'd get so carried away. He would tell everybody he was going to preach for T.D. Jakes. I said, Jason, you don't even know T.D. Jakes. I'd have to set him down. Take him off the platform. I took him off the platform so many times I lost count. I'd take him off the platform for a couple months. Then he'd get back on the platform. Then he'd take off again on some wild tangent. I just have to set him back down again. And I don't ever remember having to set him down for his lack of hunger for the things of God. His heroes were always in the church. What are you saying today, preacher? You may make a lot of mistakes. You may not always get it right. But if you will set your affection on the right things, everything else can work out. I said, everything else will work out. 
Oh, I don't think it's healthy. That young person, they always at the altar. They're always crying out. They're always hollering out. Oh, you don't understand. There's a hunger in the heart of that boy or that girl. And God's going to honor that. There's a young man in our church. Just a boy. His name is Joseph Lutz. A few weeks ago, his, his mother secretly videotaped him at home preaching with her cell phone. It was kind of over her shoulder like this. And he had a handkerchief out. He had his Bible open. He was going at it, preaching and all that. I said, man, that is so awesome. Somebody else would look at that and say, that's not good. I think it's great. I call him the preacher. This was him last Sunday in church, sitting right back over here. Those are his glasses he's got out. He doesn't wear glasses. That young man will be used of God. Just hang around and wait. You just watch. That young man is going to be used of God. The Bible called them wise men. You can call them men from the east. You can call them wandering nomads. You can call them stargazers. But the Bible says that they were wise. You know why they were wise? Because they worshipped with an unreasonable worship. With an excessive worship. With a hero worship. On Monday at about 10 minutes till 3, we got a call that our son Luke had been in an automobile accident, corner of Emerson and Jupiter, on his way to work, Chick-fil-A. So I, I jumped in the car and raced down through that intersection. And when I arrived on the scene, this is what I saw. His car flipped upside down. He was still pinned underneath when I got there. Everything in life changes in one moment, in one second. I stood beside that car shaking and praying. And after a little bit, a lady came up to me and she said, are you the father? I said, yeah. And she said, He's conscious. He's talking to us. She said, I'm a nurse. She said, you're Pastor David Myers? I said, yeah. She said, I was behind him. I saw it. He said, I'm Leroy Burroughs' niece. Sister Burroughs here? There she is. I didn't get her name, Sister Burroughs, but you probably know who she is. She said, I was able to talk to him and I got the phone from him, called your wife. And that was just one of many miracles that took place that day. But as they were using these jaws of life and these firefighters and medical people were trying to stabilize the car, and 
get uh, Luke out of the car. He comes out and he's in one piece. And I go over and I hug him and they set him down on the front bumper of the fire truck. And as I'm talking to him, I realize what a miracle it was. What a, what a good God that gave us an early Christmas miracle. And, and the uh, police officer that was there that wrote the report and all, he, he came and talked to us for a little bit. He was not at fault. He was going northbound, went to an intersection. An 18-year-old girl was turning left there and didn't yield oncoming traffic and hit him broadside and threw him into the curb, and, and he started flipping. And the police officer, I saw him again yesterday out at the park, and he said, how's your son doing? I said, he's, he's sore. And, He's uh, still got headaches and he's recovering, but he's in one piece and we're all thankful. We believe it was a miracle. And he said, oh yeah, it was a miracle. He said, but I just want to tell you, he said, when I got the call, they said that car had flipped and he was pinned underneath and he said, I prepared myself for a fatality because that's usually the case. And he said, when I got there, which he said was only a couple minutes after the accident, he said he had his head sticking out the side and was talking to us. He said, I told your son, but he said, I want to tell you. He said, that just doesn't happen. Everybody told us that. The doctor at the hospital told us that. The guy at the yard where they towed the car told us that. I don't know if you have that picture of the car or not, but it's all crushed right where the driver, see the roof crushed in right where the driver is sitting. The lady at the insurance company said, what part of the car was injured? I said, all parts of the car. She said, was there any glass broken? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what glass? I said, all glass was broken. I don't know how else to describe this to you. And the cop told me, he said, I told him that he needs to go play the lottery or something. <laughs> Thanks a lot, officer. <laughs> but in one moment, your whole world can change. And when that moment happens, all of the praise, all the times you went to church, all the hours spent memorizing Bible verses, all the prayer, none of it seems excessive at that point. Because the question I would ask you is, how can our admiration and appreciation to a God that spares a life be excessive? How can that be? Mm. We are hero worshipers. We worship our hero. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can stand to your feet this morning. How can our praise to Him be excessive when He spares the life of our children? Abraham, how can your devotion to a God you've never seen 
be so excessive? If you could ask him that question today, I believe he would answer by saying, because he spared my son. Jacob, how can your faith be so strong with all that you have faced? The disappointments, the loss. I believe Jacob, in his advanced years, would say through tears, because he spared my son. How can our gifts to him be excessive? How can our praise and devotion, our thanksgiving be excessive? I say to you today, we've only scratched the surface. Because one day we're going to have glorified bodies that can't be damaged in an automobile accident. And we're going to have all of eternity. And when John got a portal and looked into heaven, he said, I saw the redeemed and they were throwing their crowns before him. And they were shouting, holy, holy, holy. All the world has not seen nothing yet. We've got all of eternity. So I ask you this morning, what gift will you bring to the Lord? In a few days, we'll exchange gifts with each other. But what excessive, unreasonable worship will you bring to the King today? You'd be wise to bring a gift and bow down before Him. Bring the gift of your commitment. Bring the gift of your devotion. Bring the gift of your worship. Because none of it is too much. Give Him your very best. As you step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar, I challenge you in the Holy Ghost to lift your voices unto Him. To lift your hands unto Him. And begin to worship the One who has redeemed you. Who is your Savior? Who is the mighty God in Christ? Who has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this? It doesn't matter what you've gone through this week. There's a praise in your mouth. There's a thanksgiving in your heart. Come on, would you bring the Lord an extravagant gift today? Would you bring God an extravagant gift today? Here I am to worship. Here I am to exalt you, Lord. Here I am to bow down before you. Yes, Lord. You've been so good to me, Lord.